The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. One of the questions I get asked the most is, what happened to the dinosaurs? And this is something that's fascinated scientists for a long time, and there's different opinions out there. And especially you're gonna see differences in opinion in relation to an evolutionary perspective and a biblical creation one. So let's take a look at what happened to the dinosaurs. What we'll cover today in particular is, what do evolutionists believe killed the dinosaurs? And how should we understand dinosaur extinction from a biblical creationist perspective? Before we can talk about specifically what killed the dinosaurs, we need to talk about the concept of mass extinction in general. What you're seeing here is a chart that there's many variations on, done by uh, scientists in the past, um, and it's been continually updated, looking at how different taxa, families, species, genera, have changed over time through the course of the fossil record. As you look from the left to the right, you'll notice that there are occasionally big drops in the number of families in this case. And those correspond with different supposed extinction events, what we call mass extinctions. The idea with a mass extinction is that you have a sudden die-off of lots of unrelated creatures. Um, animals are going extinct all the time, but when you have a sudden die-off of lots of things, that's unique. So you can see, for instance, the end Ordovician, the late Devonian, the end Permian, the end Triassic, and the end Cretaceous. Notice the largest one there is the end Permian, um, which is supposedly the worst mass extinction in the history of life on Earth, um, around 252 million years ago in the conventional model. And this is where um, something like 90 to 96% of all sea life went extinct, um, similar extinctions on land. It was a crazy, crazy thing um, in the conventional model. But that's not what killed the dinosaurs. In fact, dinosaurs don't even show up until after that extinction event in the evolutionary story. Instead, we're looking at the end Cretaceous extinction, the last mass extinction on there, and that one is the one where dinosaur fossils disappear and we find no dinosaurs afterwards. So let's look specifically at the Cretaceous Paleogene extinction, or what we like to call it the KPG extinction. In the conventional model, this happened 66 million years ago. And it's recognized worldwide by a spike in something called iridium. Iridium is an element that's very rare on the crust of the Earth, but it's more common inside the Earth as well as in meteorites. In addition, at this boundary, you also find sudden disappearances of fossil creatures. Below this boundary, you can find all kinds of dinosaurs like Triceratops and Tyrannosaurus. You can find plesiosaurs, mosasaurs, ammonites, pterosaurs. But once you cross that boundary, they're gone. You can't find them anywhere. Also near this boundary is what's called a fern spore spike. Ferns are these plants you're no doubt familiar with that give off spores. And right around this boundary, we see a huge spike in the number of fern spores out there. That's interesting. Why would that be happening? Well, the idea is that you're seeing recovery of plants after an extinction event. Something killed off lots of plants, and maybe you remember from your biology class in high school, when a forest is reestablishing itself, some of the first plants to come in are ferns, long before trees and other things. So that would be the idea is something unique is happening here. Now, what is happening? That's what people are interested. But before we can get there, we got to talk specifically about who lived and who died. So first we have our dinosaurs. They didn't make it. Our pterosaurs, they didn't make it either. Mosasaurs and plesiosaurs also did not make it. And our ammonoids died out here too. But lots of animal groups do make it across the boundary. For instance, mammals, birds, crocodilians, frogs and salamanders, fish, lizards and snakes, and flowering plants. Now, it's important to point out that 
even though those groups made it across the boundary, many species and, and smaller groups within those completely disappeared. For instance, birds, there are lots of Mesozoic birds that we don't have today, like Anantornithines that disappeared there. But the point is, some animals made it and some didn't. Now, people have wondered for a long time about the extinction of the dinosaurs. This is a, a debated topic for many, many years. And of course, it's kind of funny because sometimes people propose solutions that are just for dinosaurs. In reality, you need to think about a whole ecosystem that's changing, right? But different ideas out there included disease and some kind of sillier ones like hormone problems or general stupidity. Outcompeted by mammals was a very popular one for a long time. And then you hear climate too hot, climate too cold. And then two of the, uh, or three remaining ones, extraterrestrial impact, volcanism, and cosmic radiation. I particularly like Gary Larson's version of it. Um, you can see on the right there. Of these ideas, the two that are discussed in the literature really are extraterrestrial impact and volcanism. So let's take a look first at our volcanoes and then we'll look at the extraterrestrial impact. In India, there are massive layers of basalt that are called the Deccan Traps. And these stretch across a large area in India and they correspond with that KPG boundary. They bracket it 67.5 to 64.7 million years ago in the conventional model. These things are called flood basalts. Flood basalts are enormous amounts of lava spread over large areas that we can't even account for where they came from exactly. Just voluminous amounts of lava that came out and turned into rock. Many people have suggested that this would be the cause of the KPG extinction. However, there's been a lot of pushback on this. One of the big reasons is that in between individual lava flows, you can find layers with fossils in them. Essentially, it seems like animals and plants are unaffected, or at least not affected worldwide, by these volcanic eruptions. So most secular paleontologists and geologists have gone for the extraterrestrial impact idea. The idea that um, an asteroid or comet hit the Earth and um, that was what killed off the dinosaur as well as many of these other animals. This idea was originally proposed in 1980 by Alvarez, a father and son team, as well as their co-authors, um, that because of different observations they made. Some things we noticed in this boundary, including the iridium, are things like shocked quartz crystals, which quartz is a very hard mineral, so to shatter it like that, you need a lot of force. Additionally, there are things called microtectites. These are tiny glass beads that you can find that are caused by extraterrestrial impact. When an asteroid hits the Earth, it melts some stuff immediately, sends it up into the air, and it cools very rapidly into glass. These little glass beads can be found all over the place, and they're a good indicator of some kind of an impact event. Now, this idea was proposed and met with a lot of resistance for many, many years. And one of the big reasons there was resistance was because of the lack of a crater. However, a crater has been discovered that corresponds to the KPG boundary, and it's in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. Now, you can't go and see it on land, it's actually buried underground. Um, but seismic studies and other kinds of studies have demonstrated that there is in fact a large crater there, and it does correspond with that KPG boundary. Additionally, at that exact spot in the geologic column, we also find large tsunami deposits in places like Texas, and recently described even North Dakota. The North Dakota site is particularly interesting and only a few details have started to come out, but there are fascinating things like fish aligned in large rows. And these are big fish, things like sturgeon and paddlefish. Additionally, inside the fish's gills, they find tectites, little glass beads. And so the idea being that this is some of the first stuff affected immediately by the asteroid impact. That's pretty crazy. You can imagine what the world would have been like when a giant multiple kilometer wide asteroid hits the earth that's gonna cause a lot of destruction. Immediately after the KPG boundary, 
we see signs of recovery. Not only our fern spore spike we talked about before, but also in the types of animals. We see a mammal recovery and a bird recovery. I'll show you in a minute. Most of our modern mammal orders you can trace back to the Paleocene or Eocene, suggesting that they just suddenly pop up there, which is really interesting. And the same thing is true for birds. There's a sudden appearance of many of our modern and many extinct bird and mammal groups at this boundary. The idea being that with the extinction of dinosaurs and other creatures, niches opened up and animals could exploit these. Okay, we've talked about how an evolutionist would think through dinosaur extinction. What do we do with this as a creationist? Well, we need to take into account, of course, the scientific data as well as scriptural considerations. In the scientific data, we see that there are no more dinosaurs, pterosaurs, plesiosaurs, and other animals after the boundary. That needs an explanation. Secondly, we find abundant evidence for an extraterrestrial impact at this boundary. You have to take that into account. Third, we see large continental basalt flows in India. What's causing that? For scriptural considerations, of course, we need to think about that there was a good creation before the fall. So these fossils are not coming from before the creation or before the fall, as we said previously. Additionally, if these dinosaur fossils are being laid down by the flood, which I think is what's happening, then some of them must have been brought on the ark, the dinosaurs, not the fossils, that is, because they were air-breathing animals, right? And that's what the text of scripture says. So if some dinosaurs survived the flood, then how did dinosaurs actually go extinct? Well, to understand this, we need to take a broad look at biblical history and how we might fit in what's going on with dinosaurs. So I've got here our timeline of biblical history. Obviously, this is very shortened, and right there it ends at Christ's birth, um, continues, of course, to the modern day. But let's begin with creation. As we already talked about previously with birds and dinosaurs, animals were created on different days. Our dinosaurs, being land animals, would have been made on day six, whereas animals like our pterosaurs and plesiosaurs, being um, flying and swimming creatures, were probably made on day five. After the creation week, we have a period of time, we don't know how long, probably not very long, before the fall, and that would have been the pre-fall world. Animals would have eaten plants, it would have been a peaceful existence. But after the fall, and until the flood, we have what's called the pre-flood world. Now, there's not a lot in scripture about this time, which lasts at least 1,600 years, but we do know that the earth was filled with violence. And this is what I would suggest to you, what we see in the fossil record, is that the pre-flood world was mainly run by dinosaurs and other kinds of reptiles. Those were the big animals you would have seen if you went most places in the world. As a result, I doubt that people tried to live anywhere near these creatures um, and probably lived in other places in the world. And then, of course, this age ends with the flood. Now, I think that a lot of dinosaur fossils are from the flood. But as I said, because dinosaurs are air-breathing animals that would have been alive at this time, some of them must have gone on the ark. And that's actually what you see. Um, for instance, here at the, the ark encounter, they've got some dinosaurs. These are some baryonyx that are in there. Um, and they would have survived. But the large majority of dinosaurs would have gone extinct. Remember, only two of each kind are brought on the ark. So, for instance, in our spinosaur kind here, there are multiple species of spinosaurids we know of. If only two were brought on there, the rest of them would have gone extinct, and all the members even of that species, other than those two, would have gone extinct. And so we'd have their fossils made by the flood. And then we would have a post-flood world. And if the flood ends with the KPG boundary, which is what I think, then what we see immediately after the flood is a world run by mammals and birds. What happened to the dinosaurs? Why don't we find their fossils in the post-Cretaceous sediments? Well, we need to go back to something we talked about previously, that the present is not necessarily the key to the past. And as our geologist Steve Austin liked to say, things were different then. Let me give you an example. 
I have an evolutionary colleague that I've worked with before, works at a different institution, and he likes to challenge me with ideas and I challenge him with ideas. And one of the things he tells me is, hey, frogs are all over the world right now. I mean, literally, there are more species of frogs than there are mammals alive today. That's insane. There are frogs everywhere. But frogs really love kind of wet, tropical, swampy kinds of environments, right? You can find tons of frogs out there. If you look at the geologic column, there's a chunk of it called the Carboniferous, named after all the coal. And there's tons of amphibians, many, many kinds of amphibians we don't have today, but there's no frogs. And so his argument was, if all these animals actually lived on the earth at the same time, why don't you find frogs in the Carboniferous? It's a perfect environment for them. It makes no sense. Frogs are worldwide today. Why aren't they in the Carboniferous? And that's where we point out again, things were different then. Our modern world is a post-disaster world. Everything you see around you, from continents to mountains to oceans to animals to plants, these are post-disaster phenomena. The flood happened and it changed the world completely. As Peter describes it, the world that then was was destroyed, being flooded with water. It's a different world now. So imagine the animals getting off the ark. Let's say that there's 30 different kinds of amphibians, maybe one or more of them being frogs. Most of those amphibians get off and they find their environment of the Carboniferous gone, that completely destroyed. And so they don't do well and they go extinct. But some animals do really well, like frogs in particular. And frogs just go out and conquer the world and they go everywhere. They diversify and they fill all these niches. And that's how it's gonna be. When you get off the ark, when that door lands, it's go time, okay? And an animal is either gonna do really well species or they're not gonna do very well. Some are gonna go extinct fast. Some of them are gonna be very successful. And so I think what we're seeing with dinosaurs is that they just didn't cope with the post-flood world. Now, we don't know why, that's gonna require a lot more study. We could think of ideas dealing with diet or with changes to um, the atmosphere or with um, climate or possibly even dealing with um, reproduction rates or um, age to sexual maturity, all kinds of different things we could think about. But the point is that that world, many of the animals from the world before just did not recover. And that left the window wide open for other animals like mammals and birds and frogs to diversify and fill many of those niches. And so we've got to be really careful extrapolating about the past when we look at the present. So let me summarize what we've talked about. Firstly, I think most dinosaurs were killed by the flood. Some would have survived on the ark, but the huge majority would have been wiped out by the flood. And I think that's where our dinosaur fossils mainly come from. The Chicxulub crater in Yucatan Peninsula, Mexico, was actually from an extraterrestrial impact, and it probably occurred near the end of the flood. The dinosaurs that did survive the flood didn't look like they could reestablish themselves. They didn't survive long in the post-flood world, um, and they probably went extinct pretty rapidly, which is sad, but this is what happens in our sin-cursed world. And we need to remember that the flood didn't just judge the world, it restarted the world. The world after was very different than the world before. And if you want to learn more about that, there's lots of resources, especially um, geology courses and things. But the idea is that the post-flood world was very drastically different than the pre-flood world. And so as with everything in this course we talked about, we must be very careful extrapolating to the past from the present. But the good news is we have a guide to the past, and that comes through the Word of God. The Word of God gives us glimpses of understanding outlines of the past, but we get to fill in the details as we do science, especially in learning about creatures like dinosaurs. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Master's University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, 
visit masters.edu.